Good morning, friends. No, yeah. Thank you. You kind of had to, but I still, I still appreciate the love. Uh, I love our church, and I'm grateful to be here. And I will say, if you know, soul care is an ongoing thing that will be going for a long time. If you all sign up for soul care right now, Chrissy, our intake assessor, will be overwhelmed. <laughs> we got 14 counselors, so, uh, so yeah. So pace that out. Um, but if you were to uh, imagine heaven, I want you to think right now. Think about heaven. What comes to mind? If you were to uh, go on Google and go to Google Images and search heaven, uh, let me tell you what you'll see. Many, many pictures of a staircase uh, formed by clouds that go up to a bright, shining light, and there's some gates there. And uh, so young people, got a lot of young people in the front. When you think of heaven, what comes to mind? Uh, there are, so we have best-selling books and uh, movies about heaven. We want to know what heaven is like. There is a, a movie called Heaven is for Real and a book. My kids have read it. There's 18,000 reviews on Amazon about this book and this movie. There are great country songs about heaven. I looked up the top 10 country songs uh, about heaven, and one of them is called The Outskirts of Heaven. It's great lyrics. He's basically saying, you know, the streets are paved of gold, and that's in the city, but I'm going to be on the outskirts where the, where the roads are dirt, <laughs> because I like the dirt roads in my truck. Um, <laughs> and so we have thoughts about heaven. We want to know what heaven is like. Um, but honestly, you know, our image of heaven is shaped by culture and stories and just maybe piecemealed our thoughts and and there is a real resurrection that is going to happen. And often our thoughts and what we imagine is just way too small to the real thing. Today, uh, Jesus wants to give us um, a part of the vision that he has about heaven and what that will be like. So we're in Mark chapter 12 today. Stephen just did an amazing job reading it. So I imagine Mark 12, the end of Mark 11 and 12, like a boxing ring. Now, it's not a boxing ring, so just this is my very shallow vision or, or like picture of what's happening here, um, but go with me. It, you basically have Jesus and these four different opponents, these groups of religious people that are approaching him one at a time, and they're in the temple in Jerusalem, so that's like the boxing ring, and there's all these crowds of people that are watching this happen, and the four groups of people, they step up one at a time to challenge people, and he just kind of Boom, knocks him down one at a time. I, now, Jesus loves these religious leaders, okay? That's true. He actually does. Uh, this is not an accurate picture, but it's just, it's how I imagine it. And so go with me on it. Um, so we've, uh, a number of weeks ago, actually in December, the chief priests, scribes, and elders are the first ones that come, and they challenge Jesus' authority. Last week, uh, we had the Pharisees and the Herodians come and uh, challenge Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. If you were here, you remember that. Today, we have another group, the third group, called the Sadducees. Now, uh, briefly, who are the Sadducees? Uh, they do a number of things, but one of the things they did is they, they ran the Sanhedrin, which was a group of about 70 elders who ran kind of like the court system in the temple. Now, the the, the uh, Sadducees believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as the only authoritative scripture. And so one of the, the, one of the things that happened from that is they justified the fact that, that we will, that once we die, we're dead. There is no resurrection, there is no angels, and uh, we, there is no spirit. And so they are essentially annihilationists. 
Annihilationist, which means when you die, your body just decomposes and your soul just annihilates. That's what they believe. I know, it's great, huh? So with that background about the Sadducees, let's, let's read the passage again in Mark chapter 12. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. And in fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. So what they're doing is they're trying to trap Jesus. They are the third group approaching Jesus to trap him in this fake scenario that isn't real about seven brothers. Uh, and they don't even believe there's an answer to the, the scenario that they're putting forward. Now they're drawing back from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, this law from Moses that says, if, you, if a man marries a woman and, they don't have a, and he dies and they don't have a son, that uh, if he has a brother, she is to marry the woman to keep the family line going, which is very different from our day. We don't think like that, but that's one of the laws of Moses. And so they are proposing this question to make Jesus look dumb by, by, by saying he believes in the resurrection when they do not. And so Jesus dodges the punch and answers back with a couple with a right hook and a, and a left jab. But before we get into that, I want us to zoom out on, on marriage because marriage is a part of what they're talking about and where we're going to be going. So Genesis chapter 1, we see that God made man and woman in his image. And the first, uh, the first um, what is it, the first command of God is to be fruitful and multiply. So have a lot of kids and fill the earth. Genesis chapter 2, we see the first wedding between Adam and Eve. And this is what marriage is, according to God. That a, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that me, so ba- this is the recipe, this is the vision of marriage according to God. Uh, the first two things have to, ha- have to happen before the, thir- the third thing happens. I want to lay this down really quick. First you leave your father and mother, then you're joined to your wife, and then the two have sex. That's what that third part means. Uh, this is God's vision. God is the author of marriage and family. This does not come from our idea. This comes from God and his dream for human flourishing. Well, Genesis chapter 4 happens a few generations later. You have a man named Lemek who marries two wives. It doesn't take long for human beings to screw up the whole thing, right? Uh, he, polygamy starts and all kinds of dysfunction just kind of rolls out. And so Moses uh, gives, uh, gives the law to, to do a number of things, but to regulate all kinds of marriage and family dynamics that are broken. And then uh, Jesus in the New Testament, they call us back to Genesis chapter 24, and they put marriage in its proper place. Now, I love weddings. One of the joys of what I do as a pastor here at Grace is officiate a lot of weddings. Now, I've only been late to one wedding ever in my life, and it was a destination wedding. It was a, a couple from this church, Jonathan and Lauren, in Oahu. It was awesome. And um, we, on the, we were staying at the south end of Oahu, and the wedding was on the north shore, and we decided to go out on the east 
side of the island. And we were almost to the wedding venue when there was a car accident and a down uh, electrical pole and the road was blocked. I tried every way to get around to get to our destination. It was not happening. So we had to go all the way back around and go all the way back through another way. Now, thankfully, the Gildies, uh, they had the property for like the week. It's right there. And, uh, and there was plenty of daylight, and they took their pictures first, and it ended up being beautiful. Uh, praise God. But the point is that we want to be on time for weddings. Amen? Yes, we need to prepare ahead uh, for the wedding. Now, there is a future heavenly marriage that is on God's calendar. And it is going to be the greatest wedding that any of us have ever experienced. It comes from Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 10. I'm not going to read it, but essentially it is describing a, a wedding, a marriage between Jesus, the groom, and the church, the bride. We, as the people of God, those that have placed their faith in Jesus, are the people of God. We are the church. Now, I'm going to give you a theological term, um, and I think it's important for us to help give some perspective. I want you to repeat this theological term after me. It is called dispensationalism. That was decent. That was decent. Now, this is one, uh, this is a term, thank you for the, the graph, that describes kind of God's timeline. There's other theological ideas out there that describe it, but um, essentially there's seven dispensations, seven different kind of eras on God's timeline, seven different ages, and I just put a few of them on there for simplicity, uh, both in the past and in the future. Now, you'll see that uh, before Jesus' first coming, we were like in the Israel age with the law, and then uh, Jesus comes, and then he, he, he ascends, and then we're in the church age, which we are currently in. Now, we know that clearly that Jesus will be coming a second time. And then after the second time, there we'll, we'll go into the next uh, age, which is the millennial age. Now, as we're talking about the resurrection and this future wedding between Jesus and the church, we're talking about the time of the second coming. Is that cool? So just to give us some clarity of what we're talking about here, um, Jesus' followers who have died at that time at the resurrection will bodily rise. And those Jesus' followers who have not died will be, um, uh, what's the word, raptured, and, and together will be brought to Jesus into this wedding ceremony. You can take the slide off the screen, which is crazy. Our actual bodies uh, being resurrected. I know, try and wrap your mind around that. But it's one picture we have is when Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected bodily. And he ate food with his disciples and they touched him, but he was also able to walk through walls. So I really don't know exactly how it's going to be, but we're going to forever be 21. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. You could finally run that marathon that you were never, never able to run. You're going to have a six pack in heaven. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, I'm... <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Nobody really knows. Paul tells us it's a mystery. But at that time, uh, the church is going to be brought to Jesus uh, like a wedding ceremony, and we're going to enter into a new age. Now, Paul describes this relationship between uh, us and, and Jesus in Ephesians 5.28. He says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one, no one ever hated their own body, 
but they feed it and care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Sound familiar? All the way back to the beginning. This, Paul says, is a profound mystery. Try and wrap your mind around that. I am talking about Christ and the church. And so throughout the New Testament, the bride is a picture, consistent picture of the people of God, of the church, pointing to a future reality that will happen. It describes a covenant relationship, or one author puts it this way, we're like an, an engagement, like a betrothal with Christ today, and we'll in preparation for a future wedding ceremony. So now that we have some clarity around this future wedding, hopefully we have some clarity, let's get to Jesus' left hook, he's left-handed, and right jab, I'm not a boxer. So let's get into his, the, Jesus' response. Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? You never want to hear that from Jesus. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are badly mistaken. You never want to hear that from Jesus, do we? Um, So he kind of does the boom, knockout punch. Um, There's a lot here. Let's break it down piece by piece. So Jesus responds with two questions. The first one is, um, hey, fellas, I think the problem is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God, especially when it comes to like the resurrection and the future. Your guys are way off. But hey, let's be honest. No shame, no guilt, no... But how many of us really know the scriptures and the power of God around this topic as well? And so it's easy to judge them. But the Sadducees, they are these high-ranking religious Jewish leaders. And so what is Jesus doing? He is publicly insulting the leadership and at the same time blowing their minds, declaring that there will be a resurrection in the future And so you may need to reevaluate your theology if you're going to trust in Jesus. And then number two, that that in this resurrection, that family relationships are going to be a little different. Let's, Let's unpack that. What many Jews believed about marriage was that it will continue into the resurrection. How many of us thought that too until just now? You're like, what, Jesse? I don't, I don't really, I'm, I didn't want to come to church today. We are, you're ruining my day, G- Jesse. I think I kind of hate you right now. Um, I am a family man. I've been married for 16 years. I've got four amazing children, a beautiful wife. I am deeply committed to being a husband and a father. But I want to be real with us. We as a society idolize our family. We idolize our family. That's both in the church and outside of the church. Our goal often is to get married, to have kids, to buy a house, to retire. And man, so much of that is self and family centric. Hold on. The world revolves around our home and the family is supreme. And we would never say it this way, but we can tend to worship our our family with our energy and our time. And like the Sadducees, we can be too focused on this this 
time short time here on earth, uh, we're only focused on the temporary. We think too small about these things. Now, the way of Jesus, stay with me, people. The way of Jesus elevates spiritual family above biological family. Read the Gospels. This is true. Um, Biofamily is temporary. It has an important season. But spiritual family is true and real today, and it will go on into the next age and into the age to come. But also, the way of Jesus does not diminish your biological family, but elevates it. Yeah? As spiritual family gets elevated, our biological family also gets elevated, but not as much, but it also gets elevated beyond often what, how we view it. I treat my wife, both when we were dating and, when, and in 16 years of marriage, as a daughter of God to be loved and respected and cherished and not to be taken advantage of, both in dating and then in marriage, to lay down my life for her. I'm deeply committed to, uh, to her. That's what, this, that's, what's, that's what spiritual family does and how what God calls me to. I'm deeply committed to dedicating my kids to the Lord. God has given them and entrusted them to me, but ultimately I dedicated them to God. They're God's kids. And I raise them to, to follow, to be a disciple of Jesus. My home is dedicated to the Lord. You see that when you walk in, there's a big plaque there. That our home is for a place for people to come and encounter God, and it's a place where house church gathers. And so I know the big question a lot of you have is, okay, well, will I know my family and my kids and my, my grandma and my grandpa? Am I going to know them in heaven? Yes, uh, Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book called Heaven, it's a a great book, theologically accurate, uh, just a great vision of heaven. He says, to be in a resurrected body on a resurrected earth, in resurrected friendships, enjoying a resurrected culture with a resurrected Jesus, now that, that will be the ultimate party. Everybody will be on, be who God made them to be, and none of us will ever suffer or die again. As a Christian, the day I will be I love this line. As a Christian, the day I die will be the best day I ever live. That puts a spin on how we view that day. But it won't be the best day I ever will live. Resurrection day will be far better. That second time, that day will be far better. And that's just the beginning of a whole new day in life and future. You see, we picture heaven as like harps and clouds and like disembodied spirits ghosts kind of thing, singing worship songs forever and ever. Anyone else kind of feel like that would just get boring after a while? I mean, Sal's awesome, but like worship nights are like an hour, but come on, there can be a limit on how long we can worship God for it. I sing songs in that way. Our resurrected bodies on an actual resurrected and renewed earth for this thousand year reign is going to be like it's going to be like life. It's going to be like life. My dad used to teach me this stuff as I was a kid, and we liked to play poker and blackjack and don't judge me. And so my dad would make a joke that when Vegas is renewed in the, in the new heaven, that that's where he wants to go retire. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what he used to say. I don't know if Vegas will be there, but 
If it is, that's where my dad's going. Jesus, he looks at the Sadducees and he says, you don't know the power of God. You know, they think too small. They don't believe in the afterlife. They're thinking too small about uh, focus on this life and a vague picture of the afterlife. But God's power has destroyed death. Death is destroyed. That is what the work of Jesus on the cross. Death is destroyed for all people. And we receive the gift of eternal life the moment you put your faith in Jesus. It's not based on your, your good works or anything. It's based on the good works and the faithfulness of Jesus and our faith in him. The moment you say yes to Jesus, I believe, and put your faith in Jesus as, as God, at that moment, you spiritually resurrect. Amen? At that moment, you spiritually resurrect. You're born again is one way Jesus puts it. You will live forever, and, and death does ha- has no sting on us. That, that is for today. This is who we are in Christ. And there will also be a bodily resurrection, which we're talking about in Mark chapter 12. And it'll be like a wedding day. Hopefully we have some clarity around some of these things. Randy Alcorn puts it this way. If you're a child of God, you do not just go around once on earth. You don't just get one earthly life, you get another one, far better and without end. You will inhabit the earth like this place. Uh, You will live with God and cherish the people you love as an undying person on an undying earth. This is the power of God. Raise your hand if you deserve it. No one. (laughs) Yeah, we deserve it because God loves us, but none of us, sorry, that was a rhetorical question. I won't do that in the next service. None of us, sorry. We don't deserve it, but it is, it is the love of God for us um, that, that gives us the gift of eternal life, and it's good news. All right, so let's go to um, Jesus' kind of second question, the knockout punch. He looks at them, the Sadducees, and he says, have you not read about Moses, about the bush? He says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Again, this is a public insult to these religious leaders. They know Moses. They are scholars of Moses and the Pentateuch. What Jesus is doing is he is proving the resurrection, which will happen, based on God's covenant faithfulness in the past. Wrap your mind around that. (laughs) Uh, About 20th century B.C., God shows up to Abraham in the bush, no, I'm sorry, that's Moses in the 13th century. God shows it to Abraham in Genesis 12. It gives him a vision and a covenant. Sorry, mix them up, people. And God gives a covenant. And then in the 13th century, Moses comes with the bush and gives him the law. Um, and these are different dispensations. Fancy term, I know. Um, and then Jesus comes in the first century. And here we are in the 21st century. Man, about 4,000 years of God's covenant faithfulness. And because of his faithfulness, we can have assurance of the promise of this future resurrection, that God is the God, the same God yesterday, today, and forever. This is why iPads work better. He says that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're doing great today. They are alive. Your faith, like Abraham, the same simple faith of Abraham, is 
what gives us uh, righteousness. It's based on God's faithfulness, not ours. And so let me tell you one reason why this is good news. No failure you have or will ever do can remove God's eternal life, this gift to you. There is nothing you have done that disqualifies you from this. I want you to hear me. It doesn't matter if you feel it or not. This simple belief in Jesus and who he is and what he says it is, is enough for you to become forgiven by God, to be born into the family of God the moment you believe. It is not based on your faithfulness because for all of us, it's not that great, right? <laughs> it's based on God's covenant faithfulness. It comes down to simply, I believe. John 14, 1, Jesus gives another picture of the future. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Hear the words of Jesus. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that, not, if that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go I pre- and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is promising a few things. That, that right now Jesus is preparing something awesome. Exactly what? I don't know. But it's probably going to be pretty sweet. And then number two, he's going to come back and to take us to be with him. Like this picture of a wedding. The bride spends a lot of time getting ready for that big day, right? I remember my wife, like months in advance, trying on dresses, kind of picking the right one. It was like the whipped cream one, right? Something like that. Anyways, you got to like get the right dress, and then you got you get your nails done, and then that morning, like you're getting your hair done, your makeup done, and the guys are out there playing golf or sleeping in, <laughs> right? And and. And there's a lot of preparation that goes in. And in a similar way, we need to get ready. And we also need to prepare um, for that big future day. We need to get ready today for that big future day. You know, one of the justified critiques of the evangelical church, which we're kind of like in that, is that often we present the Christian life as You believe in Jesus to forgive you of your sins so that you can die and go to heaven. And essentially what that is, is I believe in Jesus so I can get my ticket to heaven. And then I'm free to just kind of live my life however I want. And that's a valid critique. And I would say that's a a small vision. Thinking way too small about who we are and what, what kind of lives we're meant to live today and into the future. Randy Alcorn, one more quote from him. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. The people who do the most for this present world to to bring the light of Jesus and the kingdom of God thought the most about the next. Man, I want to hear from Jesus. Man, you knew the scriptures. And you knew the power of God. Don't we want to hear that individually and as a church? Jesus is not offering us a ticket to heaven. Although, praise God that he loves us that much is that he forgives us and gives us us that. But Jesus is calling us today to reorient our entire lives, every aspect of our lives, 
to him and to his ways, that, that it's a whole new way here today on earth, a whole new way to live where we want to be, we want to see the kingdom of God, heaven come down and infiltrate the earth. The light, the goodness, the love of God coming down and infiltrating the earth. That is the work that we have to do here today. And it's a beautiful work. Something to be loved. God is the God of the living. And that's not just for us. God wants us to bring life into our homes and into our families and into our church and into our neighborhoods and our, our, our workplaces. That's, that's what God wants for us, to live today with eternity in mind, to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As we go into a time of worship, uh, let's worship God and praise God. And I'm going to, if you want, I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. But as we go into worship, I want to invite us also to pray for Syria and Turkey. That'd be good. There's um, a lot of grieving, a lot of mourning, a lot of rescue efforts, and a lot of people displaced. So let's lift up those places as we go into a time of worship. Let's bow our heads. Pray with me, church. Uh, Jesus, we um, just confess that um, often our thoughts are too small about our lives today and about our future. And God, we're... There's so much, we're, we're so busy and there's so much going on that we can just so easily get captured by the here and now and not even look up and see God and put our lives today into their proper context. And so Lord, we just admit that to you and confess that to you. And God, we ask that we, we wanna turn from that. We wanna to see, to, to live our lives in light of eternity. God, I pray that you would build our faith God, every one of us, Lord, our faith individually and corporately as a church, God, you would just become bigger and bigger. You don't get bigger, but we've made you small. So God, increase our vision, increase our, our, our understanding of you, God. What it means to love you, Jesus, and to love others and to, to live our lives today into eternity, Lord. For anyone here this morning who has not said yes to you, Jesus, they don't have their own personal faith in you, God. They've never said, Jesus, I believe in you. I've lived my life, I've gone through enough, and I, today, I believe. For that person, you can tell God in the quietness of your own heart, Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for your work and your, for the, on the cross, forgiveness in my life. God, come into my heart, fill me up, fill me up, God. For anyone who prayed that prayer, heaven rejoices and we as a church celebrate the new life, born again, the resurrected spirit that God has just done in your life. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.